Charles River Church. If you're a little bit newer with us, let me introduce myself. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. It just means so much to me and to all of us that uh, you would join us online like this today. Uh, just continue to prioritize the gathering of God's people uh, for church. I believe that God's going to bless that. And uh, we know that, listen, this is, this is not ideal. We all long to be together, especially in our new uh, church home like this. But we're just praying that today would be a real encouragement to you. And uh, it would be really helpful to you as well. And so uh, we're going to be online only uh, for the rest of the month of January as COVID cases continue to rise in Massachusetts before they ever able to start to decline again fairly soon. Uh, we're continuing just to, to track all the guidelines and all the recommendations and uh, just be really prayerful to make wise decisions. And so I know that we're, we're really seeking the Lord on that and I appreciate your grace uh, with us in all of this. Uh, but let me just encourage you just to stay vigilant, uh, to do the things that we need to do to stay outward facing uh, in this time and care for your neighbors and your family and your church family and your friends. And uh, let's just keep looking out uh, for each other. Hey, we've got a great worship gathering lined up for you. We're just so excited for what we have. You're going to get to hear from my man, Joel Richards. Joel is in the house today, and so I'm excited for you to hear from him. Uh, Joel is uh, one of our uh, members of the church. We just love him, and uh, he's the kind of guy that when he speaks, he speaks from the heart, he speaks with passion, and uh, when he speaks, uh, you can know that he speaks from uh, a true faith that's really, uh, uh, you know, on the streets. Uh, he's living out his faith in Christ. Uh, where the rubber meets the road. And so excited to have him. Uh, you're going to want to listen. He's a family man. Uh, he's a Boston Public School teacher. Uh, he's very engaged uh, in our church. He's very engaged in the community. He's running for public office here uh, come November. And so just excited for you uh, to hear from my man, Joel. Uh, as we uh, start to get settled into our online worship gathering this morning, just a few things to point out. First of all, we point out that connection card. Uh, you may just often skip over that. Uh, we're going to drop a link in right now in the chat for you if you're joining us live. Uh, would you really just take a minute to, to just let us know you're here. At least give us your name. It really is helpful for us when we're not in person and not able to see who all is with us. Uh, just to know that you're here with us. It's encouraging and it just kind of kind of helps us just to, to know uh, who's tuning in. And uh, let us know if we can be praying for you in the prayer section there. And we certainly will be uh, praying for you. Uh, also, I want to point you to worship lyrics. We're going to in just a moment drop in the link. Uh, to worship lyrics so that you can uh, sing along with us. Uh, typically, uh, we will kind of pre-record and edit a little bit, and you'll see the, the lyrics right here in the lower third. Uh, but we're uh, live for a few weeks, these first few weeks of January, and so click that link so that you can sing along with us. That would be great. And then also, if you have kids, uh, we want your kids to continue to be able to engage in church, even though they don't have the opportunity to go to their typical River Kids class. Our River Kids team has put together some really great stuff for you. Uh, my daughter, she's nine, and she loves it, and uh, we also have all of the, the content archived on YouTube, and so uh, maybe you want to hand your kid a tablet or a phone and let them do that, or save it and do it together after the gathering, uh, but just some really good stuff to help them to uh, grow in their faith. And so River Kids, we love you, we know you're still there, and uh, we appreciate you uh, jumping in and using all of that uh, content, hopefully it's really helpful. And it's going to be a lot of fun for you. So uh, find all of those links on your screen if you would. Uh, get yourself situated with everything. Get familiarized. And uh, we're going to jump in in just a moment. But before we do, I just I think it's important for me just to uh, speak to you pastorally if I can. Uh, like all of us, I'm sure, uh, again, we find ourselves this week just, just shocked and ashamed and, and heartbroken over the things that have taken place in our nation as people storm our nation's capital and even even beyond the pandemic, these 10 or 11 months have been extremely heavy. I'm sure they are for you personally. For me, they've just been heavy on so many different levels. My wife and I just uh, took a few days to get away and just got back last night. Uh, we just needed time just to be alone and be with the Lord and with each other and just kind of process everything that's going on. And so I know it's, it's, it's just a tough season. And I, I think our, our nation is bearing the fruit of generations of unconfessed, unrepented sin and injustice, uh, divisive rhetoric, uh, double standards, political polarization, uh, Christian nationalism. Uh, it was for me a distinct kick in the gut when I'm, I'm looking at the news and seeing the images and seeing flags flying with the name Trump and then Jesus and then even seeing uh, a photo of gallows and uh, it's just heartbreaking. I don't know how you're feeling. I imagine we're just, we're just heartbroken over this. It's so, so sickening. And I just want to clarify, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. Jesus never aligns himself with a political party. 
party. He doesn't align himself with a nation or with a group. Instead, Jesus calls us to align ourselves with him. He constantly says, follow me, take up your cross, follow me. You're to follow me. You're to align yourself with me. Don't ask me to align myself with whatever your agenda is. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song that's familiar to you if you've been around our church for a while. It's called Jesus Lifted High. And this song just reminds us that the banner that we raise, that the flag that we raise is the name of Jesus, that our identity is in Jesus alone. We want him lifted up over our nation, over an ideology, over a position, or a person. Jesus, 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 only Jesus. I know what we saw this week was extremism, but let it lead you to search your heart, as I've let it lead me to, to search my heart, and to really sincerely ask the Lord, what flags do I raise over Jesus, or even alongside of Jesus? Where have I placed my hope, and my joy, and my comfort, and my security? It's been a really, really ugly year, but I do believe that there's hope, and there's hope that's found in Jesus. He is always eager to forgive us, He's always eager to restore and to renew and to transform. And so wherever you're at this morning, wherever you're at, I believe that Jesus is eager to forgive you. If you would just seek him and say, God, show me what's in my heart. And so wherever you're at this morning, uh, be encouraged and find hope in Jesus. What I want to do now is I want to lead us in a prayer before we hand it over to the band to lead us in, in worship. Specifically, this is a powerful prayer from St. Francis. I pray this will help you uh, to just give you some words as to what to pray. I mean, a lot of us are asking, what do we, what do we even pray right now? How do we ask the Lord? And I think this is a powerful prayer. So uh, I'm going to pray this and read this prayer. And, and you let this uh, just reflect your heart as we go to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives, it is in self-forgetting that one finds, it is in pardoning that one is pardoned, it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. And all God's people say together, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship the Lord and lift up his name. Though I may 
suffer for a while. I have a hope that's undefiled. I see the part, but not the whole. I know this world is not my home. And I want to see Jesus
focus our attention on others, God, to be able to be the change that we need by lifting you and your name above all else, Lord. On your name, we stand firm. We stand strong for you, Lord. We praise your name this morning. We praise the name of Jesus this morning. We thank you, Lord. Living next door came and knocked. He literally found you where you are. So what does he do? He goes on a boat 
in an ocean, in the water, and then goes to sleep underneath. Now, a lot of commentators point to the parallels between Jesus and the boat. They were both asleep, they were both down at the bottom, and they were both sleeping through the storm, right? And they had to be awoken. Jesus was able to cause peace because he is shalom, he is peace, so he was able to speak to it. Jonah actually literally had to be thrown off the boat to give peace. That's most of us, right? If we want peace in a lot of our churches and households, all we'd have to do is leave, right? Madeline, better not be agreeing. That's my wife. And so, so Jonah, being underneath, right, he gets woken up, and the pagan sailors actually are more moral than him. They ask him, do you know why the storm is coming? They recognize God. They recognize they can't escape God before he does. He denies it and lies. They draw straws. God calls him out through straws, which also shows that God can call you out through anything and through any, any um, venue or anything he wants to use. They press him even more. He's still lying. He's like, okay, it is me. God didn't listen to God. And the sailors don't even throw him off the boat. I know I would have thrown him off the boat. Goodbye, exit. <laughs> so they actually say, let's try to get back to the ocean. Let's go try to get back to the shore one more time. And they try, and it doesn't work. And Jonah's like, yeah, throw me off. They throw him off. The sailors then get to the shore and then give their lives over to God. They start praising Yahweh right away. They recognize his power. They recognize his grace. They recognize his mercy and his love. Jonah still did. Jonah takes another three days in a fish, right, to finally have his heart where he's like, all right, God, you're right. Let me, let me even back that up. At that time, if a prophet disobeyed God, he was either dropped dead or eaten by a lion. God saved him a second time, right? Swallowed by a fish. He took three days to finally break his heart. How much did he hate these Ninevites, right? And then finally, he gets up and goes to Nineveh, right? So let's pick up in chapter three. See how that works? You guys all flipped here. Even here, everyone flipped over. You see how you're ready to focus on it? Just a little tip. I have to go to grad school for that. You can get that for free right here on Sunday. Then, uh, we're going to start in verse 3. Then the, oh, sorry, we're going to start in verse 1. Sorry. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out again to the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey, he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in the hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Right? That's an amazing story. Right? That is an amazing story that was told there. Right? A man walked into a city that was so big it took three days to walk across, just preaching and proclaiming a very simple message. You will be destroyed. Turn away from your evil ways. And the whole city repented, all the way up to the king. And not a normal repentance, too. They, they stripped away all the things that, you know, the nice clothes, everything. And everyone had to wear sackcloth. Everyone had to do ashes. Just as they said, they obviously realized what they were doing was wrong, right? So, appearing repentant. Let's talk about appearing repentant. Laying down your sin is the start. Not picking it back up is repentance, right? So, what we have here is a group of people, the Ninevites, Right? That Jonah hated, and were, but they were consistently doing better repenting and serving than him. Right? They didn't have to go to a fish for three days. Right? He just walked to the city, and they were like, "You know what? We obviously are oppressing people. We obviously are doing the wrong thing. So let's change." Right? And also, we have to talk about what kind of oppression is going on here. Right? Naturally, 
Nineveh was a part of the Neo-Assyrian culture, right? It was, uh, Ishtar was the god that they worshipped. So a lot of slavery was going on, a lot of oppression was going on, right? So we gotta talk about empires real quick. My family and I, when we are all together, we love to watch those National Geographic films about the animals and about the, uh, uh, like a last thing we watched was like these elephants going to different warding holes during the dry season to survive. And then they have to turn around and go back to their homeland to get more water there. So it's just a consistently, they're chasing water to survive, right? But as they're doing this, predators come about. And the king of the jungle, the lion, right? Ferocious, huge, giant. He never goes after the strongest elephant. He never goes after, or the, the, the female hunter never goes after the matriarch or the patriarch or anyone. They go after the old. They go after the weak, the sick. They go after the, the children, right? The babies, right? Because that's what predators do. Predators don't form power, or empires don't form power to constantly fight people of equal strength. Then they will lose some of their strength. They will lose some of their influence, right? Colonizing, right? You take the resources from, right, what you can, right? That's the whole point of people building strength in this world, in this economy, right? Not God, not, not in a Jesus economy. You build strength to build people up and take people with you. But in an empire state, right, and what the Ninevites were doing, right? Naturally, that's what empires do. Think about it through all, all our history. What do all empires do? Colonize, right? What do all empires do? Abuse. What do all empires do? Take advantage of the worker or the people that don't have money as well, right? That's just naturally what empires do. And Nineveh was doing that, right? And God found it so detestable that he was going to destroy Nineveh, right? If they didn't stop, right? He wasn't going to destroy it because they, they were practicing heresy, or their, their, their songs weren't exactly right, or their scriptures weren't right. They were, he was going to destroy them because they were oppressive. Right? That's how much he hates oppression, right? And he hates oppression so much, he saved a stubborn man <laughs> three times to send him there to go and save them, right? With a simple message, and then his spirit came through, right? So we also have to talk about, did that kind of oppression was okay in their culture? Was okay in their synagogues or temples, right? This was something that was well known. It wasn't hidden. Oppression is usually never hidden. It's impossible most times to be hidden, right? You might not notice it because you're above it. You're not being oppressed, but it wasn't hidden, right? But after Jonah came through, right, and they were able to repent, true repentance, they were able to lay down that oppression, right? So we have to think about that. The next part we're moving to is tested in ministry. Let's go to Jonah 4, 1 through 4. But it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. To Tarshish sorry. For I knew that you are gracious. Right? I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Does that sound like someone described to hate? God, you're so merciful and wonderful, I hate you. What? Kill me, like that blows my mind, right? And the fact that God didn't even follow, like most, I mean, that's why we're not God. We would just follow, okay, Jonah, I'll kill you. Like, right, <laughs> but he's still so merciful, he's still so loving, he even tried to talk to Jonah to get to the heart, to show him what's wrong with your heart, right? Because let me give you a little secret. You do not need to go overseas to be tested in ministry, right? Do you, do you go to work, right? Do you, do you have a family? Do you have relationships with people? Do you go to a church, right? These are the things that will test you because you should be in constant ministry, right? Jonah tells you that. If you had talked to Jonah before, someone said, Nineveh, I love God. It's great. He sent me all over the place. I'm delivering word. People are saved. People get healed. You know, uh, leprosy. I, all these things, man. I, I had judgment on people for God. And the moment God told him to go somewhere where he didn't like the people, all that went away. Right? That's the equivalent, I'll be honest, of God telling me to go preach to some to Trump supporting Blue Lives Matter people. Right? God told me that I'm gonna take a pause. Right? I don't need to be in the web for two days, not three. I don't need three. Right? But 
That is the same thing, right? Because you're, you're, you're attacking my culture, who I am. I historically know Blue Lives Matter people don't want anything good for me, right? Or I historically know that racist people don't want my sons or my family to flourish, or me or my parents or before that to flourish, right? I historically know the racist people like that is where my dad can only go to certain neighborhoods in Brooklyn or in New York, right? So when I have a history to say why I wouldn't preach to those people, but all that history was paid for by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, amen? So I can't hold on to that. I can't. Not saying it would be easy. Not saying I wouldn't kick a little dirt on the way, right? So I would say Jonah is like one of my students. When I talk to them, I'm like, oh, you need to go to apologize to Essence. You can't kick someone because you're mad at them. You can't steal their pencil because you wanted it. And then they go over and the first thing they say, Mr. Richard said, I'm like, no, no, I didn't do anything wrong. You did it wrong. Don't, don't try to use me, right? Jonah was in, even Jonah's word, God's going to destroy you. You better repent. He didn't be like, don't you want better? Nothing. Just repeated himself. Walk in the city. God's going to destroy you. I imagine just like, God's going to destroy you. You got to repent. Just like, just not even with any light or any fervor. It didn't sound like it. There's nothing else to describe. Usually the Bible is very descriptive and gives other things he would point to or other, like he could have pointed to Egypt. Look what happened to Egypt when they didn't listen to God. They were nothing. He's like, God's going to destroy you. You better do better. And they did. He even tried to sing this ministry. But God is so gracious and so loving and cares about his destiny and his creation so much, right, that he still made Jordan to succeed. I'm just telling you, this is like a, this would be a great sitcom if you ever want to make a comedy. Just be the comedy of Jonah, right? Right? And I also want to challenge you, if you're not being tested in your heart, right, about your culture, about the things you value, you're not in ministry. You're not in constant ministry, right? You're avoiding some things. You're avoiding some confrontation. You're, you're not being friends or honoring or taking care of people that are outside your social or economic structure, right? You're, 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 not, you're not taking that ride out of your neighborhood. Amen? So, a personal example would be me. I get, I, growing up, I gained a hard heart towards um, you know, people that are less fortunate, people that are homeless, people that are drug addicted. Like if I was at an event and they would show up, start asking for money, it would actually make me upset. It would actually like, kind of ruin my time. But from the moment I got saved at 27 years old, all of that changed. Even when I talk about it now, I kind of feel nauseous thinking about how I hated those people because God loved them so much. How I disliked those people. I have to not carry cash. If a homeless person comes up to me, they're getting it, right? I'm like, okay, I need to save money. We're low. <laughs> right? Like, I even, when they, when they come to me, I automatically say, if I had it, it'd be yours, brother. I call them brother because they are my brother, right? Because Christ created them, right? If I'm joined to Christ, then that's my brother. That's, I'm seeing Christ. I'm talking to my best friend. Right? Because the Bible says, what you do for least that you do for me. So I view them, when I see them, I have to see Christ. Right? Whatever they need. If I don't have it, I'm walking in the store, you can get a sandwich on the way out. Right? My mother even be on the phone with me sometimes. Like, why are you talking to them? You're supposed to be doing this. Is it safe? I'm like, it is safe. Right? doesn't matter. Right? At this moment, this time, I have the time and the ability to help them. So I'm going to. So I'm not helping them. I'm helping Christ. Right? So if you're not in constant ministry, if you're not <laughs> constantly in your home, being a minister to your children, being at work, being nice to people that are rude to you at work, that are, you're not uh, reaching out to people, offering them prayer, and your heart's not being tested. You're not, how are you viewing people, right? You gotta think about that. Are you viewing people at work as a ministry ground? Are you viewing people at work as a place where I can make my desk a place where people can come and ask for advice or, or ask for prayer, right? Because everyone who has a ministry at work knows there's people who say, I don't like God or I don't like this, when they have trouble at home, they will come to you and ask for prayer. Like, I don't even know what this prayer thing is, but I need it. I need it right now, Joel. I, I need it. So I just want to challenge you right there. If you're not in ministry constantly, who, what's testing your heart? Where does God have the opportunity to test you? Where does God have the, the opportunity to strip away these things like he was trying to do to Jonah? Right? He knew Jonah's heart already. He knew he hated the Ninevites. He was trying to strip that away. Let's go to Jonah 4, 5 through 9. I also want you to, just, just in case, I like to break up the scripture as I'm going through different points so you can really grasp it in what I'm talking about. Truly repented heart. Jonah 4, 5 through 9. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade 
till, till he should see what could come of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that, they were, so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. That's kind of extreme. <laughs> God literally saved you from discomfort, right? And in yourself, you felt like you deserved that. That's really what Jonah was saying. I deserve that comfort. Then you took it away. God's really trying to show Jonah where his idols are, right? First with the Ninevites, then with the comfort and the things he thinks he deserves, right? Because one of the hard parts that we're about to get into of having a repentant heart is there's two sides of righteousness. There's righteousness and there's self-righteousness. Let's go to Jonah 4, 10 through 11. And then we're going to park here just for a little bit. And the Lord said, you paid the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left, also much cattle? Some people say, why does it end there? I mean, God said everything there. Jonah, you were upset about a plant dying, but not upset about 120,000 Ninevites dying? You just... I get upset about a bus not coming on time and not about people being killed all over the world, right? As Christians, right? What frustrates us? What breaks our hearts, right? God is trying to point to Jonah's heart consistently over and over and over again. Where, where is your heart? Are you willing to subordinate your culture and your self-righteousness, right? Right? Jonah saw himself as righteous not because of God, but because of his culture and the things that he did. He felt like where I lived, where I was from, I had a superior culture, a superior mindset, therefore I am righteous. Instead of saying, well, no, what God says makes you righteous. Where God sends you and your willingness to go makes you righteous, right? The things that God tells you to do, that's what makes you righteous. Jonah was self-righteous, and God was consistently trying to point that out, but Jonah was missing it over and over again, right? Later on, if you go back to Matthew when Jesus talks about that the men of Nineveh, right, will judge you, right? You have to ask yourself, why did Jesus use Nineveh, right, not Jonah? He also talks about the Queen of Sheba. He said the Queen of the South, which most commentary will agree that's the Queen of Sheba, right? He, he uses that to say, they will shame you because of her belief. She heard the word and she believed. The Ninevites heard the word and they repented, right? Because it goes to the point that repentance and faith go hand in hand. You can't say that you have faith in Jesus, right, if you're not repentant, if you're not willing to lay on your culture, because your faith is still what you're holding on to. Your faith is still on your culture, where I, how I dress, or how I provide for my family, right? right? You can rely on those things, but God says he, he doesn't mention those things, right? So I also want to talk about why you would use two people outside of Jewish culture. Why would Jesus use those two people to break down those cultural barriers? He's not saying it's not about where you're from. It's not about your last name. It's not about where your mother your mother comes from. It's not about genealogy at all, right? It's about your faith and repentance, right? It's about your faith in Jesus Christ, and when you let that faith come in and knock down and tear down all those walls and cultural identities and idolatry, right? When you don't see neighborhoods as neighborhoods of people you don't want to go to, right? You see that as ministry grounds. Or you see those as people that God wants, wants you to minister to. You see this as God's children, right? It's when you have that ability to see everything. That's a part of a true repentance because you know you don't deserve the grace that was given to you. You don't deserve to be saved, right? You don't deserve anything that God has given you, right? So it just starts to break down those walls, and that's when righteousness comes. That's when true repentance comes, right? Because any other view, if you view that you chose God, if you view that you deserve these things that you have, if you view that, oh, because I know God, I deserve this, then you will become self-righteous naturally. You become just like Jonah. We all have that propensity to act like Jonah. We all have that ability, right? Right? The smarter you are, right? 
you have that propensity. The more money you have, the Bible says that you have more of that propensity. The more status you have in society, you have more propensity, right? Nineveh was very much like that because they had all the status, all the wealth, the great cities, the great structures, the powerful army, right? The beautiful temples, right? So they were incredibly self-righteous. So they felt like they had the right to oppress. That's how culture goes. I have the right to pay this person a, uh, a minimum wage, right? Because God bless me with this business. So I don't have to worry about how they pay their rent or their, um, or their uh, social security or their insurance or if they break their leg, right? I don't have to give out paid sick time, right? Don't get sick. You really believe, no, I'm not gonna do that. But like if you, <laughs> right? <laughs> but these are the kind of things that start coming in your heart when you're self-righteous, when you think you deserve these things, right? If you got things, you knew like everything you had was a gift. You treat things very differently. Every parent knows that when you're talking to your children about almost anything, right? <laughs> you, I gave you that. You don't deserve that. So you fighting with your brother or sister about it. It makes no sense. The only person who should be angry about anything is me, right? Because I'm the one who invested in it, right? Only person who should be angry about that plan is God because he's the one who threw it, right? But if you serve God and you love God, right, you should be upset that the Ninevites are going to perish too, right? Because you didn't deserve the grace, right? Last point on that is that if you think about it, God chose Israel. God chose Jonah. Once he recognizes that, it wouldn't have mattered what God, where God told him to go, because he would have seen himself as lucky just to be the chosen. Right? Amen. So, I had uh, an, an interesting conversation this last week with my sister. We were in the car, you know, you talk with your family about, and we were talking about this exact subject in a different way, like choosing God. Um, and I, I know people say I'm very strict on this, that it's, for me, it's impossible that I chose God because I was just so far from him. And the more I know him and understand him, the further I know I am still from him, right? Even standing up here before you, preaching the word, being asked to do this, being asked by other churches, I just, every time I preach, I just realize how far away from God I truly am. How far away from his heart that I truly am. When I read Jonah, I'm telling you, I know I'd be in that place, just not for three days. But I would be there if he asked me to go to talk to certain people. It's just the way we are in this world. But are we willing to surrender that to God? Because the next part we're going to talk about is freedom, right? We, are, we have great freedom in God. We have freedom from nationalism. doesn't matter what country we are. As Christians, we have brothers in Korea, in uh, South Africa, in Australia. We have brothers and sisters all over this world, right? You, our children have mothers and fathers all over this city, right? Because we're joined as one body in Christ. So we're free from nationalism or a flag. None of that stuff represents us. The only thing that represents us is the cross, right? The only thing that represents us is Jesus Christ, right? We're also free from culture. Culture is a wonderful thing. Where you're born, the foods you eat, the languages you speak, the stories, the things that you come through as a culture, as a society, those are beautiful things. But you know what? You're free from that, because in Christ, once you're called, once you're set apart, right, you're salt and light. You have the ability to enhance culture, to take away the impurities and things that shouldn't be there, but also shine a light on the things that are great, shine a light on the things that God wants to use, right? Every culture has unique music. Gospel music is great. Christian contemporary rock is great, right? 90s Christian rap is terrible, right? But God still, I'm not saying, but God still <laughs> was able to use that to save me, right? Because God loves every part of every culture. He birthed that. He gave us the brains to think of that, right? So as Christians, we need to implement ourselves in culture, right? Not conform to culture, not assimilate cultures to us, right? But enhance it. Shine lights on the positive part, right? Be the example of those positive parts of every culture, right? If you come from a culture where family is important, God loves family, he, right? God, God, God wants family to be at the, uh, the cornerstone of it, right? So if you come from a culture that values family, then you should be an example, whatever that is, right? The best example of that culture's family structure, right? If you're supposed to be a powerful patriarch, you shouldn't be a mean, brooding, patriarch that causes, um, that causes division, you should be a loving father, right? You should be a loving patriarch. You should be a praying patriarch. You should be a wise, giving, generous patriarch, 
right? If, you're, if you come from a culture where the matriarch is important, right? Then even as a child that's going from the other side, you should value your parents because the Bible says honor your father and mother. You should be the best child that you could possibly be because that's what that culture, that's what makes that people in that culture feel good. And when they look at you, they should see a Christ-centered version, right, of that, right? Now, that's the ultimate thing because then you end up like Jonah. But where you're doing that for Christ to show them that Christ can live in this culture, that Christ can breathe in this culture, right? Amen? Amen. And what we're going to spend a little time is your neighbor, right? God has given you the freedom to love your neighbor unconditionally, right? Not the guy who lives next door that you want to ask for sugar, right? Right? No, everyone, especially those in need. There's a song my wife and I have been listening to a lot, Make Room, right, by Jonathan McReynolds. First of all, I'm terrible with singing. I thought I knew what Jonathan McReynolds was, and that was Travis Green the whole time. So now I finally, a couple weeks ago, discovered who Jonathan McReynolds is, right? <laughs> so he has a song like Make Room. He talks about Instagram. He talks about get rid of your face. Everything that everyone talks about on social media. Like, you fast with the love. Get off your Facebook. Go to bed. I won't be quiet. <laughs> but <laughs> what the whole point of this whole make room concept to me in this context, are you giving God the room to love your neighbor? Right? Are you giving, are you moving over your culture? Right? Are you moving over your preconceived notions about people? Right? Oh, if I see someone with, if I see someone with like an American flag hat, I'm automatically going to assume something about them. Right? If I see a police officer, I'm automatically going to assume something about them. Yes. But, but not in that kind of context. I'm joking. But in a context of where Am I willing to put myself out there to talk to people? Am I willing to put myself out there to love people? Right? Am I willing to make room for that? Am I willing to make room to be wrong? Am I willing to make room to learn? Right? Am I willing to make room to, to experience and indulge in other cultures? Not assimilate it, not criticize it, not talk about how funny their names sound or how weird their food is, but to be like, what is this? Why would God give these people these spices? Why would God give these people these instruments? Why would God give these people this music, this art, this thought? How can, I, how can I use that to communicate grace to them? How can I communicate that to create, to, um, to expose them to the gospel? Because let's, let's be honest, after everything I say, the number one goal of every Christian in, in every church is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We all have that mandate. But if you're not loving your neighbor, then you're not doing it, right? If you're just preaching to people that look like you, act like you, share your culture, you're not doing it. It's the same thing over and over, right? So what I would say to that is, are you giving God space to love your neighbor? Are you giving God space to, to be able to, are, here's a real question. Are you seeing what God says about your neighbor? Right? Have you given God room for him to tell you about your neighbor? Because true repentance signals your complete submission to Yahweh. Yahweh's extended compassion for all creation. Right? What does that mean? Jonah struggled because he didn't want God to love those people the way that he felt God loved him. Right? He didn't want those people to experience the shalom and the peace right, that he was giving to people. Right? So, I'm coming to the close. So I always like to leave, leave you with what to pray for. Right? The first thing I want to talk to you about to pray for this is something very personal to me. This is something, uh, right before I gave, became a Christian, my, my father gave this to me. He spoke to me about this, and, and then God just used these seeds that he planted in my heart to just grow, and it stayed with me to this day. What you believe, you should stand up to scrutiny and be grounded in love. Anything that you believe about a person, anything that you believe about Christ and what he wants for his ministry, you should be able to talk to someone else that you trust, your pastor, anyone in your life, and it should stand up to scrutiny, but also it should be grounded in love. If I believe something about somebody, what does that say about them? What does that say about the implications of love or in my heart about them? We could talk about Jonah, right? When he believed that about the Ninevites, it was not grounded in love, and it would not stand up to scrutiny. Obviously, because when he went to the city, what did God do? And the last thing, where I'm going to spend just a couple minutes, is face the giants. My, my dad always refers to Numbers 13, 27 through 28. Why, he always asked me, why, when, when, before the Christian, why, and I didn't understand it, why would this God send spies into the promised land? It was theirs. It was promised, right? It was theirs. 
but it was to build up their faith. It was to build up, it was so they had to rely on God and to build up their faith in him, right? Because when they saw the giants, when they saw the two tall people, they became scared, they became frightened, right? So I understand in our culture, we have a lot of giants, right? We have systematic racism, cultural racism, a lot of things that are stopping our society from moving forward and keeps dragging us back. But are you willing to stand up to those giants, right? I'll give you just a, just a quick personal story about my son's birth, right? My second son's birth, Johan, was uh, just there, not just there, but it, it, was a, it was a more intense birth, right? It was a birth that my wife was very different from the first one, I'll say that. She can tell you more about that. But right before we went to the hospital, there was a doctor in my neighborhood that I knew that was talking to me, and she was like, Joel, all the studies are coming out that they're not giving black women painkillers, enough painkillers. And I know she kept telling me that the second birth was much more intense, so she would need more painkillers. And let me, she was like, she just broke it down. It was all things were going through my head, apart from the stress of just having a good child. She was like, so you have to learn how, she was telling me how to advocate correctly, the words to use in case to do that, because you don't want them to get mad and try to call security on you. And it was, it was a, a white doctor, she was just breaking, a white female doctor, she was breaking this down to me. She was like, because if your wife can't get the painkillers, she won't be able to sleep, and she won't be able to breastfeed, and that'll set off a healthier baby, and it'll start a whole new issue. And I'm like, oh, now I gotta carry this extra stress into the, into the waiting room. And I'm like, hopefully this won't happen, and of course it did. The nurse refused to give my wife painkillers. Over and over, just giving her ibuprofen, she couldn't sleep. And I'm trying to be as peaceful as possible. I'm using all the language. And after a while, she stopped coming to the room. So then I had to leave the room and go find her. And she was in the break room, so I stood out the break room for an hour. People kept asking me. She came out, she was scared. I was like, ma'am, and I broke out of science again. And she finally came with the smallest dose of painkillers that you could possibly give. And then I had extra language that I was researching. I was like, is that an appropriate, uh, is that an appropriate dose for her body mechanics, her body makeup, and the amount of pain? She gave the dirtiest look, walked out, got like two pills, threw it in the thing, gave it to my wife. My wife fell asleep. She did it nastily and angrily, but at the same time, my wife was able to sleep and then breastfeed my, my child, and they were able to sleep and the help everything worked out from that point. But what I want to stress to you is that these are the kind of giants that I have to face in my life. But because of Jesus Christ, I shouldn't have to face this alone. The whole church should be there fighting against this. The whole church should be there reacting against this, right? The whole church should be there helping rid society of racism, right? I know you're saying that's a high, that's a high calling, that's a charge. But we already know, we already went through the whole scripture, God hates oppression, right? God hates oppression. He hates error in scripture, he hates uh, hypocrisy, he hates all things, but he hates oppression. So we know there's oppression going on as the church, we have a responsibility, right? If we serve the God of justice, there has to be evidence, right? There has to be objective evidence that we serve the God of justice. So we should be actively standing against social ills. We should be actively standing against oppression. Right? Are we willing to join other groups to do that? Because if someone asks you, right, who are, who are we standing against, right? If someone asks you, do you stand for justice? Are you willing to join other groups to do that? Are you willing to be a part of other groups to do that? Sometimes we don't want to join groups because of their specific message doesn't match what, what Christ said or other things. But at the same time, those groups will never see Christ if we're not a part of it. Those groups will never experience shalom if we're not a part of it. Right? And isn't that our end goal? Should we implement ourselves in these groups? Shouldn't there be a contingent of Christians when there's groups putting their bodies on the line to stop mass evictions all over mass? Where are we now? Shouldn't we be there to stop these things? Right? So, I just have to say this last thing. And I was always worried about saying this. But if you think America is great, you have to be honest, you're an unrepentant Ninevite who God is going to destroy in the end. And if you are a Christian and not willing to put yourself out there to stand up for the oppressed, you are a Jonah, a hard-hearted Christian whose whole ministry is limited and worldview is skewed by your culture instead of the God who saved you. I'm asking you one thing and one thing only, right? Put yourself out there, face the giants before you. It'll be hard, you'll have a lot of failures, and a lot of nice crying. But I guarantee you, when you get to heaven, the last thing you'll hear is, welcome in, good and faithful servant. That's all I got.
Joel. Can we go to God in prayer? Let's pray to the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we're always very quick to justify ourselves. God, we pray that you would help us to be quick to pause and to look to you and say, God, show me if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, thank you for this reminder that those of us who can think that we are okay, we have you constantly coming at us and trying to help us to see what's in our heart. And so God, we ask that you would do whatever it takes to expose the areas of our hearts that are skewed from your way, the way of Jesus. God, thank you that even in that, you are showing us grace, that you are quick to forgive us if we would just humble ourselves and acknowledge that we're not walking in your way. God, I think about Romans chapter 2. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And so, God, would you stir up our hearts and lead us to repentance? As we said from the beginning to the end of this gathering, Lord, would you show us, would you show us, we search our hearts in this season. Would you show us what's going on within our hearts? Every single one of us. Not one of us exempt. Because God, we long to be like Jesus. We long to walk in this world as salt and as light to point people to the true hope. God, there are so many right now who are longing for hope and for comfort and for answers. And God, I pray that you would allow us to rise up with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as thou wilt in this season. We commit these things to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're so grateful uh, to the Lord for that word. And uh, it's a familiar, as Joel said, a very familiar Old Testament story that we often will read to our kids, but it's so pointed to every single one of us, I believe. And so thank you guys for joining us like this today. Let me just point you to a couple of things on your way out we wrap up. First of all, that connection card, again, just let us know you're here. And at the bottom, there's a, a comments, prayer section. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Let us know if you have any thoughts or any needs. We'd love to step up as a church and try to try to meet those needs. Speaking of stepping up as a church, I just want to thank you for your generosity, church. Uh, with the Christmas offering, uh, we were able to uh, raise $12,000 with uh, your generosity. So just it's amazing. We're really grateful for that. And you're going to be able to do uh, a lot of work here on the, the property, but then also and help some small businesses with uh, their, their first month's rent. So thank you, thank you for that. And if you'd like to continue on in generosity for 2021, uh, we can't do it without you. And so uh, we're gonna drop a link in just a moment here for you to be able to give. And so I uh, click that link and uh, you can follow that and, uh, and give to help us continue the ministry that God's called us to here in, uh, in Boston. And then lastly, let me just say this, we wanna help everybody be able to connect in the life of our church and to connect in meaningful relationships with each other. And as Julian had said, connect to people who are different from you. And one way to do that, that it's gonna be really uh, helpful for you, it's gonna really help you grow and, uh, and do a good work in your heart is by connecting with people uh, through what we call our connection groups. And so those start uh, next week. And so we're gonna give you this week to uh, fill out that form and uh, let us know you're interested, check some of the groups that you're interested in and we'll have leaders get in touch with you so that you can plug in. Uh, yes, they are on Zoom, but it's not all just about Zoom. With that comes uh, relationships that you can text people and phone call and, and maybe do a socially distanced walk or just have some relationships that will really help you through this season. Uh, we're kind of going through this one more final stretch, I believe, with COVID, and uh, we want to help you to be supported. So uh, take advantage of uh, just filling out that link to get more information about connection groups. We're, we love you guys, and we are just so thankful uh, for the chance to, to, to do this. Again, not ideal, but we're together like this, and uh, we just are thankful that we can still be together in some capacity. And so press on. Uh, know that we're praying for you. 